0: Talk about stirring up the gift. I really got this put on my heart last last week. Um, it's It's kind of rare for me that I know a full week and something in advance what I'm what I'm going to preach, but on occasion on occasion God does that. It's not too often. sometimes it's right toward the end of the week before he kind of synthesizes that for me into for sure what what it's going to be. It's just the way it's always been. Um, We're going to talk about stirring up the gift. I want to read out of 2 Timothy 1. It's just one verse. 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. This is what it says. Therefore I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. This is Paul writing to Timothy some translations say, "I want to remind you to stir up the gift that is in you." I like this. Uh, I like this translation. That stir up is tr- best translated in this manner of a reminding you to keep ablaze. It's the idea of you have a fire. You have something like this wouldn't really be in this state of burning. It would be kind of burned down and how you'll go up, whether it's a a wood fire or maybe it's your barbecue grill if you use charcoal or whatever, and you'll take and you'll poke that and you'll stir it up and the flames come back higher. That's the idea that Paul is writing to Timothy here saying, therefore I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. I want to pray over the word and then get into this idea of three things that stirring does. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word and I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what mercy has done for me. I thank you that there's power in the blood of Jesus Christ that could be shed one time. And the remission of sins could take place and it be once and for all. It was no longer a necessity to do something on an annual basis or on a frequent basis, but instead that that the power that was contained in the blood of Jesus Christ could wash away our sins and could cleanse us and remove every stain, every uh, blot, every wrinkle, every blemish so that we would be prepared I thank you that, God, you found me. And you saved me. That you set me free. That's what your mercy did. Father, I pray that you would ever allow our hearts to be reminded of that. That we would not take for granted this great and precious gift that we've been given through your Son, Jesus Christ. And, Father, I give you the praise and I give you the glory. I pray that you will take very literally God maybe I could ask even that you just take your finger and that you would poke the grayed out died down coals of our spiritual heart today to set us ablaze for your cause and for your kingdom God that we would not walk out in the same condition that we were coming in And Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory for you alone are worthy. Anoint your word, God, and let it do what it is full of power to do in changing our lives and our hearts. We just pray and believe these things in the name of your Son and our strong Savior, Jesus Christ. And church together said, Amen. Three things. Three things that stirring does. Uh, Number one, if you stir something, it agitates it. Number two, when you stir something, it accelerates it. And number three, when you stir something, it causes it to be consumed. Have you ever been asleep? And somebody came in and started stirring you up, particularly if you hadn't been asleep very long. Is that, that you? Anybody been there? All right, how did you how did you tend to respond? Get out of here. <laughs> You're a little agitated, right? I mean, your, your response is that you're, you're a little agitated because it's easier to stay still or to stay in the path or state where you are rather than to get moving and to be stirred. Isaac Newton's laws of motion are going to tell us something here in a moment, but I want to give you a quick background on how we got to where Paul is speaking to Timothy we just read out of the second, uh, the book of Second Timothy. I want to give you something out of First Timothy 4 and 14. Paul, writing to Timothy earlier, said, Do not neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. So there was something that had occurred in Timothy's life. There was something that had happened that had allowed him to receive this gift. And then we saw in 2 Timothy 1 and 6 that Paul comes back and reminds him in a separate letter. He says, I want to remind you to keep ablaze that gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So there were people that had prayed with Timothy. There were elders that had prayed with him. And God had imparted to him a gift and if you actually see the original word that's being used for this idea of gift, it's, it's charis. It's, it's a word that means grace. It's this, this gift that's, that's been put into him. And so what is it that, that has been given to Timothy and, and that we even could see ourselves? Because it'd be great to, to read something. And go, oh, isn't that awesome? Timothy had something. He had some gift of God that was in him. But what, well, how does that apply to me? You know, nobody, maybe in the church you grew up on, nobody laid hands on you and prayed over you on anything. You know, right? Because that's just a little too much stirring. Can't get that stirred up in church, right? You know, it's just supposed to be that. Well, you know, we'll all just kind of pray from a distance and get our. It's kind of like our golf clap and our golf, golf prayer. You know, oh, oh, you know, just Lord touch them. Just touch them, Lord. You know, I don't know, man. I'll just be honest with you when uh. When major stuff happens in my life, um, I'm not praying the golf prayer. You know, I'm not praying the, oh, Lord, I just hope that you'll just bless me. I just hope that you'll just touch me, Lord. The sarcasm is strong with this one today. <laughs> that's not, you know, that's not, boy, I mean, you'll, when we you sing this song, Jason probably knows this song. I know Ed and Sarah know this song. We, we used to sing this song when I, when I was a kid. Prayer bells of heaven, oh how sweetly they ring. Carrying their message up to Jesus the King. Man, I mean, you know, cause I always think about somebody. I think about, you know, when, when you have that old bell tower and, and what happens when somebody, you know, wants to ring the bell, you know, back in the day when you had that rope, man, you started pulling that thing and you got that belt of swinging and all of a sudden that thing went dong, dong. you had to put some effort into it. Makes me think about the Bible says, you know, that the, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, fervent, white-hot, serious, sincere, passionate, got some gumption behind it. You got some feeling behind it you're connected into something you know when it's us and we're praying for our situation we get emotionally connected to it we get in and, and we will stir that thing up because it impacts us personally and so we but you may be praying like you had never prayed i used to hear the saying you pray like your shirt tails on fire people say oh well is it necessary that you pray like that to get god's attention absolutely not it's not, and you can pray and never speak a word and get God's attention. You can you can just just imagine it in your mind, and and God hears, God sees, God knows. But I'm just not going to ignore the fact that when stuff happens and when things occur, it stirs us and it moves us. That's why you can be watching something on television and you could see something that hits. Closely home to something that's happened in your life and you don't even know those people, you don't even know that real situation and it will move you emotionally because it connects to something down deep in us in the way that God has made us. So in the same way that things move us in an emotional way that we view kind of as positive and it brings a tear to eye or whatever, somebody stirs you up, it can agitate you. Why? Because it's easier to stay still than it is to get into motion. So here's my little Isaac Newton that's going to help us today. Isaac Newton and the laws of motion. Not wanting, you know, just giving you a little science class today as part of church. How about that? Just in case anybody wonders whether we think the church and science have to be at odds with each other. I'm going to share some Isaac Newton with you today. Isaac Newton's laws of motion state the following. The first half of the first law says this. A body at rest will remain at rest unless an outside force acts on it. It's pretty simple, guys. This candle has not moved the whole service. Right? It's been right there. It's not going anywhere. It hasn't all of a sudden. didn't move down to that end and enjoy the worship service and kind of make its way. You know, saying, this little light of mine. It didn't do it. It didn't do it not going to let Satan snuff it out. (laughs) It didn't happen. It hadn't been moving back and forth up here. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. It would be waving, you know. Didn't happen. Why? Because a body at rest will tend to remain at rest unless an outside force acts on it. Something has to be done to cause that thing to move. The second part of that first law says, but a body in motion at a constant velocity will remain in motion in a straight line unless it's acted upon by an outside force. Now I'm just going to go ahead and stop here for a moment and just plant a seed. Some of you spiritually are like the first half of that law. You're a body at rest and you're not going to move unless an outside force acts on you. Hey, we're just getting right to it today. That's the only way I can shorten sermons up, you know, and make it a little less long. We just got to get to the point pretty quick. Some people spiritually are a body at rest, and they will remain at rest unless an outside force acts on them. And the interesting thing is they resist the outside force. Because God and the Holy Spirit are trying to act on people to get them to get out of being in a state of rest and to be in a state of motion, but they're resistant to that because it is preferred to stay in the condition where we are. People will stay in a bad situation simply because it's the situation that they know. We have sayings for that. We say things like, well, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. I just want to tell you something important. The devil ain't good no matter whether you know him or don't know him. A bad situation don't get good just because it's not as bad as some other situation. But it's easy for us to remain in a state of rest and in a state of lack of motion because it's what we're accustomed to. You hear other descriptions for it. It's you're in your comfort zone. I don't want to change because I'm comfortable where I am. The second law, Newton's Law of Motion, the second one says, if an unbalanced force acts on a body, that body will experience acceleration or deceleration. That is, a change of speed. Here's one for you. You ever been walking behind your kids? Now the kids, they just have to be the receiver of this one. You ever been walking behind your kids? And, and you, you're doing single file or something like that, you're trying to go through some space, and you're wanting them to hurry up and you're going, hey, y'all speed up. Hey, speed up. What do you need to do sometimes to speed them up? Put a little SWAT. You need to bring the SWAT team out. You a little SWAT team. Somebody talking about pushing them. You don't push your kids, <laughs> you just spank them. <laughs> But, you know, and what happens? What happens? I mean, our dogs are that way sometimes. You know, you walk along behind them. You know, if you got the end of the leash, you kind of, you know, let's go. Get on. I ain't talking about like beating on them or nothing, guys. I mean, but whoop, whoop, whoop. See, a body that's in motion, when it has an unbalanced force, in other words, something happens to it that is greater in speed than what it is, it'll cause it to speed up. But then the reverse of that is true as well. If something begins to drag down on something, it is at a slower speed, then it will cause deceleration in that body. A lot of people are that way in their spiritual lives. They're going along and God will send someone or something into their life that kind of, it'll kind of give them a, a kick on the hindquarters and it speeds them up in life. But then there's other things that we allow into our lives that they come along and they begin to drag us down and they begin to decelerate our spiritual life and begin to bring that thing almost into a state of lack of motion. Stirring yourself up and stirring up the gifts that is in you will cause agitation. When you, when you reach and swatch your kid and you get them to speed up and go on, you know, it's not like they turn around and go, Oh, thank you, Dad. Right, oh, thank you, Mom. Thanks for giving me a little bit of a sWAT there to get me because you've done told me five times to speed up, and I just started dragging and slowing down. you know how kids do? They start dragging a leg or something. Ah, you know, they act like they they ain't got any bones in their body, you know how they start they start doing, the, and you're going, man you better you better get up, pick it up, you know, thank you, Jace. thank you, Dad. No, you know what they get that look on their face, right? See, see, stirring up causes agitation because there was some friction. <laughs> There's a little bit of friction that occurs that caused some agitation. When you begin to stir up things in your life, it will cause agitation because it's an unbalanced force that's creating acceleration into your spiritual life or more rapid movement in your spiritual life. Most importantly, within the grace that is in you. Consider a locomotive. It's heavy, it's sitting still. It takes a tremendous amount of energy to get that thing to start moving. In fact, if you've ever you know, stood beside a locomotive and watched when it first goes to take off, man, the wheels are just sitting there. They're just spinning. And that thing, I mean, man, it's got those little bars on the sides, you know, it's connected to the, to the different wheels, you know, looking at the old ones. And, and you'll see that thing and it's turning, and those wheels are and It's not really moving yet. And then it starts getting a little bit of traction and and all of a sudden everything catches hold and this thing starts to move. But it took a tremendous amount of energy to get it from sitting still to beginning to move, to picking up speed, to maintaining that speed. Does it agitate you when people ask you what you've done for Jesus this week? Does it agitate you when people ask How are you consistently serving the local body of Christ? Does it agitate you when people ask you about the priorities that you place in your life? You know, of God versus other things or evangelism or toward the local expression of the body of Christ. Does does it agitate? Because see, sometimes when that outside force that is unbalanced, it is unbalanced. Greater in motion than what we are, when it acts on our lives, it can agitate us. I kind of thought about when you take a snow globe and it's been sitting still because it's got it's got that fake snow in it, right? You know, see, see, we got fake news and we got all this other stuff. That we won't say is fake or whatever. but We got some fake snow, all right? And so you take up one of those snow globes and what do you do? Yeah, agitate it. And depending on how hard you agitate it, either that stuff goes everywhere, or if you just kind of pick it up and go, then you know you get a little, and then it settles back down. But you know, when you were kids, you want to take it and you want to shake it all around, you know, you do the hoagie pokey, you, you know, and, and, it, and man, that stuff's going everywhere, and then you sit there and you watch it. But what happens after a couple of minutes? It all settles back down again. See, for a lot of people, sometimes that's what their spiritual life is like when it comes to church. They'll come to church on Sunday, and they kind of shake some stuff up, and it it gets all in motion, and it's up, and it's fluttering, and then as you go through the week, there's no other agitation that happens. And it all just settles back down again. Stir up the gift. He said, this is something you've got to consistently do. You need to keep this thing ablaze. Stirring creates agitation. But that lack of stirring allows something to stay motionless at worst or very slow at best. See, when something's going too slow, you know there's, there's things maybe that happen in your life and you go, you know what, we need to speed this up. You walk in and, and your kids are cleaning up their room and, and it's just... Now, when I was a kid... <laughs> I don't know why people say but when I was a kid, people used to say, you're moving like dead lights is falling off of you. I really don't know what that saying was really supposed to mean, <laughs> but that's what I always heard from my grandparents. You know, they'd be like, oh, you're moving like dead lice falling off of you. All I knew was it meant that you was moving slow. I don't know why, but it meant you was moving slow. You ever, you ever come up on somebody doing something, maybe it's at work or whatever else, and you're going, hey, you need to speed this up. We need to get a, little, get a little motion going on here. This is too slow. I wonder, I wonder sometimes in our lives if we really stopped and we look at our spiritual lives and said, man, you know what? We need to get a little motion going on here. We need to get a little sped up in our spiritual lives. Man, this thing's kind of stagnant. This thing's a little slow. This thing's kind of a little draggy. Or maybe it's just motionless, period. Second thing that happens... When something gets stirred up as it accelerates. Let's talk about acceleration. In the early days of the church, the Bible tells us that God added daily to the church. Daily. People were being saved at an amazing rate. Now, we tend to to want to think, well, you know, the reason that, you know, he was just trying to build the church up real quick. He needed to fill a quota right fast. I don't know what it is we think when we read that. When we read that that he was daily adding to the church shush, such as should be saved, what do we really think that means compared to today? We've got we've got the world growing at a rapid clip. We've got folks, you know, showing up. Our 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 uh, our longevity, our lifespan is longer today than it than it has ever been. People are living longer. People are, you know, uh, you've got generations. I mean, there were people that didn't. Uh, didn't, didn't see great-grandparents, things like that. We've got, we've got generations that can exist together. There's people that t- can take pictures and have four and five generations in a, in a picture. You didn't see that kind of stuff 100 years ago. I mean, lifespans were very short, and they still are in many other countries where they, they, they don't have the kind of health care and things that we have even at the lowest levels here in the United States. But, but at this time, when the, in, in the early years of the church... In that first century, you would man the church was just growing at a rapid clip, and yet it was under constant oppression. It was under constant persecution. People were being chased down, hounded, killed, put in the the arenas there in Rome, and pulled apart by horses. That, that made to supposedly fight lions. You know all of these things that 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 people knew their life was on the line, but yet the church was growing rapidly. People were coming to Christ at a rapid rate. And the Bible describes it even as that they were coming daily. But how did that process play out? I honestly believe if we looked at it from today's perspective, what we would expect is that God would only add to the church on Sunday morning. Because that's essentially the only time that people are really hearing the gospel. Because the, the mindset is, well, if I can just get my unsaved friend invited to church, then maybe they'll get saved. Maybe they'll come to church and, and the people that do church, they'll, they'll, they'll have some good music that week. and Maybe everybody will be there. And, and maybe, maybe everybody will be kind of plugged in. And then maybe the pastor will share this, and then maybe he'll he'll do just the right invitation at the end, and maybe my friend will get saved. That's kind of how the church world has become in the United States. God would have a hard time with many of us adding to the church daily because we're waiting on Sunday morning. That's when people are going to get saved, that's when people are going to get their lives changed. But in the early days of the church, people were being added to the church daily. So to me, that means there was a rapid acceleration of salvation because individuals were sharing the gospel. And they were doing so every single day. How is it that people who are under tremendous persecution, that are having to do things in secret that end up where that if they get caught and, if, and it's found that they have become believers, that they could have everything taken away, maybe including their life, but yet people are coming to Christ through those folks on a rapid basis. That's astounding, isn't it? That the church in China and places like this where it's illegal, you're not supposed to be doing any of this stuff, but the underground church is thriving and people coming by the thousands to, to Christ because of the message of the gospel going out in individual people. But yet these folks can't do what we can do. They can't stand on a street corner and proclaim the gospel. They can't walk into any store and 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 even use phrases that we can use. They can't show up somewhere a couple times a week for for a church service. They can't advertise we're going to have a revival. They can't advertise, hey, we're going to have a gospel singing. They can't do any of those things. Jason and I were talking before... Before service started uh, during practice morning about homecomings and and uh you know when we were kids now we' starting to, now we're starting to sound old Jason, but Jason and I were talking about i'm not gonna say the good old days because i believe that I believe that every day can be a good old day right. But we were talking about, you know, camp meetings and, and our uh, homecomings. And, and uh, back when we didn't have a fellowship hall, and so you just went outside. And if you had some folding tables, you took some folding tables out there. That's dinner on the ground. Brought you some fried chicken. That's the, that's the bird of the church. It's the bird of every church, I'm just telling you. I mean, it's like a spiritual bird. Doesn't matter what your denomination is. If you're going to have some dinner at the church, somebody's going to bring some fried chicken. What's that do? What does it have to do with acceleration? Amazingly, the good news can accelerate salvations when you don't have any of the things that we have available to us today. You didn't have any electronic instruments. You didn't have air conditioning. You didn't have you know super nice buildings. You you, you didn't have any of these things. You didn't you just you just had the. Bare minimum of things. And in some countries, you can't even have any of that stuff. People got to spend all day trickling into a place so that they can have a gathering that night where they can sing at about this level. Because you can't be identified throughout the day that, hey, there's people congregating. There's 40, 50 people going to congregate in this one place and don't have a Bible. Somebody's just tried to memorize stuff because they saw a Bible one time. And and they're going to share the gospel. And yet people are coming to Jesus Christ. Why? Because of the individual. Because when we stir up that which is within us, it accelerates the grace that is there and it manifests itself in us sharing the gospel and us communicating the gospel and us living out the gospel because it is accelerating its advance within us, which accelerates its advance within our community. Paul wasn't warning Timothy to stir up and thereby accelerate the grace within him because Timothy had allowed it to settle. He wasn't the snow globe where everything was already sitting on the bottom. Paul was just simply reminding him, Timothy, don't let your understanding and and the operation of grace in your life ever reach the point where it has settled to the bottom. Constantly keep this thing agitated. Constantly stir this up. Constantly poke the coals of your spiritual fire so that it's not just down to that grade over ash that you get when you're barbecuing. And you go, oh, that's a great even temperature because we're not wanting flames jumping up and burning the stuff. But look, your spiritual life don't need to be like your barbecue grill. It don't need to be grayed over, ashed over, and just got some steady heat. This thing needs to be flamed up. That's what Paul was telling him. Keep this ablaze. Stir it up. What would this place look like today if we'd all stirred up the grace within us every day this week? Guarantee you we wouldn't all be here by ourselves, right? I mean, I mean, come on, guys. I I can stand up. I can, I can give us a I can give us a softball, soft soap message every week. I, I told you last week. I'm, man. I I we we gotta quit. We gotta quit that. That's like eating angel food cake all the time. It's nice and it's light and it's fluffy and it's you know and it's filling for the moment. But it's not what we need. It's not the nourishment that we need. Man, we've been given a gift. Just simply even the gift of salvation. The Bible in, in one of my favorite little small verses says, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. The gift that we've been given, we should be stirring that up. The idea of our salvation. Remember what it was like when you first got saved? When you recognize, when you truly realize that God had removed your sins, had taken them away, that you had had your eternity established to not go and spend an eternity in hell, but to spend an eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ, with God, with His saints, with all the blessings that we see out of heaven. Remember how you felt, I hope. I'm hoping you remember how you felt, because the Bible talks about that a broken heart and a contrite spirit healing no wise cast out. I really truly believe that when we come to understand what our life condition was and the sin that was in our lives and where it was taking us, and then we realize that Jesus is the life rope that God has thrown out to us to say, grab hold and I'll take you up out of that thing that's about to suck you under. Then the appreciation and the gratitude that comes forth when we recognize thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift." A gift that cannot be described, that words cannot frame and paint the picture that is accurate enough for us to truly grasp, but we still do our best. Poets write out their best prose to try to explain what it is that God has done through Jesus Christ. Artists can try to draw and paint pictures and, and create these, these visions that somehow try to communicate what it is that He's done. Musicians can stir up out of their souls and try to write the most beautiful things. You know, Handel can write the Messiah. We can see all of these different things that that communicate the beauty, but yet they pale in comparison. To the unspeakable gift. And yet God has deposited that in every person who has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You have been given an unspeakable gift. Do you realize it? Do you think about it on a daily basis? Do you stir up the appreciation for that thing? Or is it that once we have gotten it and it kind of just settles down into that normal thing? It's kind of like when we get married, isn't it? Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to buy into into this one, but because nobody wants to admit it. But don't we get pretty complacent? You, you were all excited when you were dating. You were looking forward. Oh, she's the most beautiful thing. Oh, he's the most He's a smart. He's so witty. He's so funny. He's just perfect, right? I mean, come on, come on, y'all. We know what it's like to be emotionally invested in something and all, and then we also probably most of us know then after some period of time you go oh but see but then it turns into a choice and it's all, and it's not all that lovey-dovey stuff and all that. Yeah, we we tell ourselves that, right? But yet Jesus is but yet Jesus is sitting here ready to come and to get his bride. Yet Jesus is waiting on the Father to say, it's time, go. Yet Jesus is looking with anticipation toward the time when He will be able to come and to take His bride and take them back to the place because He has gone to prepare a place for us. That where He is, there we may also be. What would this place look like today if we'd all stirred up that grace within us? What would our worship sound like? How fervent would our prayer be? I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is this. Has my love for God, my praise and worship, my prayer, my reading, my desire to be in His His presence, has it increased in the last month? Has it increased in the last year? Or has it settled into a comfortable familiarity? It's like that great overbed of coals there's still heat there it's just not what it is if you take that stick and you poke those coals and all of a sudden that thing flames back up and you go oh hey we got some more stuff we could cook something else on this stirring up those coals changes the acceleration of how that fire is burning and it does the same in our spiritual lives and when we stir up and we get that agitation and that acceleration, then what happens is the consuming will happen more quickly. It'll consume that combustible material, and it'll do so in a more rapid fashion. Hebrews 12, 29. I thought this was an interesting thing. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. By it, we may serve God acceptably, With reverence and awe. By the way, there's an interesting thing. We can serve God acceptably. I always tell you, think about when it makes one positive statement, then that means there should be a negative alternative. So does that mean that there's a way for us to be attempting to serve God and it not to be acceptable? Cain and Abel are our immediate first example. God tells them, you need to bring, you need to worship in this fashion. What happens? One says, I'm going to do this my way. The other one does exactly what he's told to do. We end up with our first murder that occurs. Because God rejects the attempt to serve unacceptably by the one and accepts the obedience of the other. By it we may serve God acceptably. By what? By grace. With reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So I started thinking about what would God's grace and, and what would the, the very gifts of what God has placed inside of us? What would it consume if we stirred it up? These are some of the thoughts that came to my mind. Grace consumes our hatred for others. It devours it. It eats it up and removes it. Grace consumes our greed. Grace consumes our fear. Grace consumes our despair. Grace consumes our personal desires. Grace consumes our lack of confidence. Grace consumes our anger. And grace consumes our doubt. See, when we begin to experience God's grace... His grace is greater than our sin. His grace is greater than every other external force that acts upon us. And I think we need to understand something. We say, well, that's just something in me. No, I I, I absolutely disagree with that. What is in us is only there because it came from the outside and externally influenced us and we embraced it. The Bible says, perfect love casts out fear. Fear. So fear is not coming from within us. In fact, the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear. So someone else has given that to us. It's an external force that acts on us and that we then embrace and incorporate into who we are. Does that mean it's easy to not be afraid? No, that's not the point. It's the fact of recognizing that it is not something that God is giving to us. And when I recognize what really is supposed to be inside of me, well, when I give my life to Christ, I'm supposed to empty everything else out and allow Him to come in and to fill me up. He's not there to be a a co-renter. He's not there to co-rent with fear. He's not there to co-rent with despair. He's not there to co-rent with hatred or with greed. He's not there to be a a co renter with our personal desires or our doubt. Instead, he wants to consume all that is in us because he is a consuming fire. And what does fire do? Fire will consume, consume and purify. It will remove things that are not supposed to be there. Fire will, in in fact, the Bible even uses this illustration when it talks about how we build on the foundation in our lives. It says, because those things will at one point will be tested as if by fire. Those that are built with wood, hay, and stubble, when their works are of that, those things will be consumed. They'll just be burned up. Why? Because God's consuming fire. It says, but but those that are built with, with gold and silver and precious gemstones and those things, those things will endure and the one who built with wood and hay and stubble in their life things that were meaningless, that were not eternal, that were not lasting is the impression that's trying to make. And those things get burned up. It says, but yet that person will be saved. There's your as if by fire. But yet the work of their lives and the things that they've done because they were meaningless for the sake of eternity, those things will just be burned up and be gone. That's a difficult thing for us to think about when we start evaluating our lives and our daily moments and we go, is what I'm doing having an eternal effect or is this something when I stand before God, it's just going to be burned up and consumed and this time period of my life is just a waste. That's tough, man. I mean, it's a tough thing because you start looking at things in your life and going, is this having an eternal significance or is this just me just really wasting time? It's going to get burned up in the end. See, when we stir up the grace that's in us and we get that thing where it's moving and God's grace is consuming our life, it will burn away things that we're committed to and holding on to, but it will just remove them out of our lives because it will consume them. But most of the time, we don't want to experience a stirring of grace in our lives. Let's be honest. We want God's grace when it comes to a need that we have in our lives, but we don't want God's grace when it comes to our wants in our lives. God, I have this need, so I need you to show me grace and show me mercy and move in my life. But then God looks and says, yeah, but see, you've got this thing over here that you're wanting that I need out of your life, and we're kind of like, hey, let's, let's keep the grace over here in my needs. Because when when His grace begins to stir up, it changes people. That's how folks go from feeling like they've got a, a career and all of this, and all of a sudden God gets a hold of their life, and He stirs that grace and that gift up in them, and all of a sudden they give everything up, move to another country, and become a missionary. And you look and go, what on earth? You had this bright future. See, that's the way we see it. You had this bright future ahead of you. You had college that was going to be taken care of you had you've got a great business mind and you were going to be able to do all of these things you had all of this stuff that was laid out before you and now all of a sudden you're giving all of that up to move to a country where you could get sick and you could die and stuff could happen to your family and you could have all of this You're giving all of this stuff up in order to, wants, in order to do this? Yeah, because when God's grace begins to stir people, it consumes and it burns away all of those things that for that person, God didn't want that to be in their life. God says, I got a plan for you. I've got a direction for you. I have somewhere where I want you to go. Then, on the other hand, we have people who God takes and He places them into positions and He blesses them in their finances and whatever because they turn out to be someone who will influence and someone who will who will proudly proclaim the gospel. Many people just don't want to give up the things. It would be consumed by grace if it was allowed in their life. Maybe you got some of those things in your life today. Maybe the gift within you has been relegated to a faint glow instead of a roaring flame. I want to offer you an opportunity to change that today. These guys are going to come up because they're going to sing a song here in just a minute. But I want to give you an opportunity to change your life today. Let's just get to it. I'll give you an opportunity to move past the life of going through the motions. I mean, here's the reality. You you know. I don't need to tell you. There's no sense in belaboring the point any further. You know whether or not that in your spiritual life that it's just kind of a blase kind of Hey I'm there, I love God and all that. but man there's not, not a whole lot of excitement in my spiritual life. I don't know that I feel like you know I'm just on fire for God kind of thing. Come to church, go through some of the emotions, I enjoy the music you know, and I' sing a little and I can't all, yeah, good message. God wants to call you to a life that's more than going through some spiritual motions. God wants to call you to a life that's not about comfort, but instead is about challenge. He wants you to move past a life of activity into a life of grace-fueled accomplishment. If you look back at your week this week, I guarantee you that you could say a lot of things, a lot of activities that you did, but how many of those things would you honestly stop and say, man, that has a significant impact on my life or the lives of others. There's an accomplishment in that. It's not just that I went through some activities, but I see where this happened and it was a grace-fueled accomplishment. And it's grace-fueled because that means it's bigger than what I could do. Maybe it's that it that it made a massive change in me and how I act and how I think and how I talk. And that was God's grace fueling that to happen. Maybe it was you doing something for someone else that in your heart you're going, man, I know I probably don't want to do this, but grace is pushing me to be active in this and to do this. And so I know that it was grace that brought this about. In the moment we can find ourselves, as the psalmist would say, in the secret place. With the shadow of His wings in His pavilion. As we stir up that grace within us and we experience a fresh and a new, on a daily basis, our relationship with God. Today, we have the opportunity to stir that up and let it be a fire that we cannot explain and we can't control. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart about whether there are lingering, flickering coals in your spiritual life that need to be poked and prodded. So as Paul told Timothy, make sure you keep ablaze that gift that's in you.